then I kind of wish Mac was still in Sheboygan, too. Talk Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed's weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 172 is recorded live September 12, 2013. Welcome back to Scoop Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson, where we still have a few days of summer trying to sneak on in. Joining me this week, we have all the way back from Sheboygan, our dive mentor, Mac. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, and I sort of wish I was still in Sheboygan. <laughs> I could understand that. And somebody who was also up there, I don't know if you guys were up at the same time, but somebody who was there as well, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm great, but I kind of wish Mac was still in Sheboygan, too. <laughs> What's that saying? Because <laughs> if he were there, I'd have somebody to dive with me up there. Well, you still up there? No, I'm back. Oh, you came back? Yeah, I just wish I were still up there. Well, I can understand that. I, I wish I got a chance to go up there. I'm, I'm envious and jealous. We, we wish you had a chance to come up, too. And you should be jealous and envious. Uh-oh. <laughs> yep. I think we miss we we may just have to take a a weekend and go back. Really? It was that good. It was that good. Well, I look forward to hearing that part of the show where we get to talk about some scuba diving. Well, I guess I guess the whole show scuba diving, but about the scuba diving you got to do. I'm I'm double fisting it tonight. I've got a new computer I'm breaking in. I'm still running stuff off old, so as I post in the chat room and on Facebook, you can see my setup, and it's it's normally at work. I've I only have eight or nine monitors, but here at home I'm I'm relegated down to three. But uh, I've got well, I'm kind of nervous about is I've got stuff propped and stuff on top of other stuff. So if we have a nice earth, mic, what's that? You got a nice mic. I was gonna say you got a nice microphone there. Oh, you have to have the microphone. That that's probably the best investment we did for the podcast. If anybody goes back and listens to the first couple episodes, we sound like we were talking in a tin can, and the mic really opened it up. And we got a little bit better recording, and I hope to to do that again with this new setup. Still working on some some software. But let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. I'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room tonight. We have quite a bit of shown out so far. We have uh, Big Stig Steve. We have Paul. We have Roger. And and I, if I read the next one real quick, I could get myself in trouble. I, I, I <laughs> do you see that one, uh, Jim? Was that? Tracy D's click, I guess is what that is. Handle, That's but what I'd say. Yeah, yeah. I, I Freudian slip, I want to say it real quick, and another word comes out. But um, thanks, everybody, for joining us in chat room, and I'll try to remember. It might be a little tough for me to paste them in. I, I, I'm trying to figure out. I've, I've got a mouse in each hand and a bunch of keyboards, so trying to keep things I'll moving. Paste. You'll paste. I appreciate that. I'll paste. And back in the news again, right off the bat, we have Costa Concordia wreck to rise from the depths. It took engineers from 21 countries, counties I almost said, around the clock to get the cruise ship ready to be uh, turned up. The stabilization, the stabilization, here I I think I need to have another drink. The stabilization system, the salvage wreck, 
uh, the wreck itself is 114,000 ton. Uh, the me- mechanics are checking the strength and safety of metal cables they have placed around the ship before they begin the task to upright the vessel. It's called parbuckling. Parbuckling. Now, in the in the photos in this article, it look, kind of looks a little bit like Thomas the Train animation, doesn't it? Everything, I have a lot Thomas yeah. the Train. Yeah, it's, everything's all all super clean and stylized. We can do it. Once afloat, section of about 18 meters of the hull will remain submerged as the ship is towed away to be dismantled. Uh, they said it's 77% complete. Hope will be finished by the winter. Uh, let's see, when are they? This art. I thought I saw another article saying Monday was a tip update. Does this one say? Yeah, there was one on G Captain that talked about Monday being the uh, day they were going to try to do the par buckling and and get the rollover started. So I wonder how quick it's going to be. Is it is it something that takes them a couple days to upright this, or is it like one, two, three, pull? Nah, I don't think it's going to be a one, two, three, pull. I think it's going to take a while. Next one is an undersea lab. Once again, trains astronauts. This is, is the Aquarius Reef Base off Key. Gosh, I think I need to go back to bed. Off Key Largo is under new management. is used for the first time in almost a year. Florida International University took over operation of the 43-foot-long underwater laboratory in June. The NOAA National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration which closed the base, citing budget cuts. The first mission for the newly reopened underwater habitat is a training mission conducted by NASA for five astronauts, including one from the European Space Agency and another from the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency. NASA, or NASA, NOAA, still owns a rig which lies 60 feet below the floor, but Florida International University is in charge of its operation. The base operation will cost about $1.2 million a year. Funding comes from a NOAA grant, but FUI is seeking money from other sources as well. They have developed a robust business plan that includes research, education, activities supported by federal, state, and local government funding, as well as fees as service from science, government, industry, engineering teams that use facility. This was cited in uh, an email from Santa Bravo. Donations from private benefactors are also key to ensuring the future of Aquarius. Uh, Fabian Cousteau, grandson of the famous underwater explorer adventurer Jacques Cousteau, plans to move in Aquarius for 31 days starting in November to conduct research in psychological and philosophical effects for prolonged saturation diving and confinement, as well as the impacts of climate change could have effect on the undersea environment. I just have a question. Yes. First mission for the reopened habitat is training for NASA for five astronauts. Obviously, they're not using our birds since we don't have any shuttles. Yeah. I'm so not... what are they using and who is taking the astronauts up in the air? Well, it's been uh, the Russians. Yeah, we've been riding on the Russian rockets. I'm sure that'll work out fine down the road. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they always like to have a little bit of money. And just send them a, it was probably a half billion dollars a flight, I'm, I'm imagining. And then we've got the Open ROV project, which we've talked about a few times on the show, raises funding to open up for the world of underwater exploration. Uh, the organization has been designing and selling kits for $849 each, some 250 of the first open 
ROV model's been sold. Now, open ROV users plan to search for sunken meteorites and glaciers and old mahogany in Canada. Uh, open ROV, the company, has raised $1.3 million led by True Ventures in order for them, the, the team of three, to further refine and distribute its design and start a video community on its own site. Open ROV uh, is using some of the uh, 3D robotics. Oh, I, I see. Open RV is a lot in common with a 3D robotics company led by former Wired editor Chief Anderson. Uh, they both utilize the uh, MakerBot 3D printer movement. They said, while $1.3 million is not a lot of funding for technology startups, is a leap for Open ROV, which has taken starring war roles in places like Maker Faire and had successfully had a Kickstarter campaign. We started off dreaming this start. This started off like a lifestyle company, but quickly became apparent to us that personal satisfaction was good. Did you see the, the new design that they show there? Saw one in clear plastic. It's yeah, similar the, to the original, but some modifications to it. Yeah, a little, a little bit of the, uh, kind of has that Apple look to it, a little frosted clear plastic. With a, Gro, with a GoPro on the front. Is that what they're using now? It, originally, it was uh, an old... I'm looking at a different picture. Oh, okay. Hang on a second. Get that to you. Yeah, they, they were doing the... Uh, they are using... Uh, I think it was one of the Microsoft HD cameras. That's where I went. Under the open project, I was curious to see what it looked like close up. Okay, I'm taking a look at it now. I pulled it back and forth between the computers. Uh-oh, did we lose somebody? Yeah, it looks like we're about ready to lose Jim. If we if we drop a connection, we'll, we'll come back on. So that was the original one, Mac. Is that what you're talking about? No, if you go, you're looking at the play. If you go down to the second and third picture, they're different or different angles. Mm -hmm. It's quite interesting. This would be really nice under the ice at the uh, Lake 16. That would be cool. Yeah. And we could drop that a few other places I have in mind. Well, they've open sourced it. So you can make as little or as much of it as you want yourself and then buy the remaining parts from them. And we just so happen to know people who can fabricate just about i think we dropped you in the middle of the sentence welcome to talk shoe please enter the call <laughs> id followed by almost sounded like Mary followed by the pound key if you are now joining the call talk recorded live you are unmuted i i think we happen to have enough people within the the club who could build or fabricate most of this i would think so that's interesting having to save this and come back and look at it yeah well and they show you how to make all, pretty much all the parts the some of the brushless motors looked pretty interesting oh that makes that reminds me have you guys been in stevensville and seen the uh saltwater aquarium shop that's in there no i have not yeah, if you go downtown i think it's stevensville yeah downtown stevensville right there in the main street there's a saltwater aquarium shop he's got a little fabric fish floating in his under the eave of the place and i went ah. in there and that is very impressive the engineering he has done in those tanks uh, extruded aluminum frames and uh, custom led lights and then the filtration systems are very nice beyond 20 years ago when i was doing saltwater aquariums but looking at this equipment reminded me of that just some of the engineering is really advanced Okay, let me back to the other computer. Let me pull up the next one. Oh, wait, I've, I've already got it open. 
a nine hotel scuba resort is close to becoming a reality in Australia. I think we had Jim drop again. Yeah, because you can still hear me, can't you, Mick? Yes, and I sure do like that. Is that a pictorial, obviously? Yeah, it's an artist drawing. It kind of has a little bit of the look of the Walt Disney World where the tram comes into it. Or the, or the new buildings there in Dubai. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does have that, that look to it. It's a proposed $4.2 billion, let's see, Aquas Great Barrier Reef Resort in Australia. Oh, they're saying I'm muted. How am I muted? You can hear me, can't you? Well, I can hear you. Yeah. Well, let's go Why ahead. Why do they call it? Recorded live. We're back. You are unmuted. Now they can hear us. Must be a little bit of delay in the chat room, too. Seems like uh, when the notes come up, doesn't quite match the audio. So probably what we should do is we should count, and then when they start hearing us count, they could respond and give us an idea how much. But I'm really not that interested. So back on this, $4.2 billion project, 3,750 hotel rooms across nine luxury hotel brands, 1,180 managed apartments, 130 managed villas, an international class casino, one of the world's largest aquariums, 145,000 square feet of high-end shopping, 25,000 seat sports stadium. Where's a sports stadium in there? Must be an inside sports stadium. I would think so, yes. 20 hectares of Reef Lagoon, two 2,500-seat theaters, cultural heritage center, and 18-home golf course. Now, what's the deal with why is it called a scuba resort? Is it just because it's right there on the barrier reef and it's going to create a big environmental impact on the reef or what? Well, they said, we're sure many serious scuba divers would love to see this project stall as its location at the Great Barrier Reef would do nothing but bring more crowds, not to mention environmental concerns that always come along with a project this side. The Aquas website says it hopes to attract the Asian market, specifically Chinese middle and upper class. This makes sense considering the primary investor is Chinese billionaire Tony Fung. They said, Northern Queensland is missing, is it is the man-made wonder of the world. So how far has this gotten, do you know? They're saying that, I'm guessing, and I don't, I can't imagine that Queensland is really that much more relaxed than we are here. They're, they're saying they hope to start construction as early as 2014. So I'm guessing that they've just now making it public because they need support. Okay. So I'm, yeah, you know, I, I give it about a 20% chance. Okay. It'll be interesting. Yeah. It just, the, the fact that they're calling it a scuba resort. And then Santa Barbara. That's so they can charge an extra 20%. Yeah. That's all. Yep. And they say Santa Barbara is having an underwater film festival called Subuff. Stands for Santa Barbara Underwater Film Festival. It's supposed to be saluting the pioneering spirit, 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 <laughs> spirit of the seaworthy cinema celebrations opening here next Saturday. Longtime movie lovers will understand it isn't exactly an upstart film fest either. The last one I did at the Arlington was 15 years ago. Said Ed Stetson, recalling a tribute for diving rebreather innovator Hans Haas. He's just now getting over that one. Said the one thing about this film festival are all sorts of outmoded things. People nowadays 
can see great underwater photography on the Internet anytime. But when we first started doing this, the only place you could was on the big screen. So it goes on and on and on. So I guess I'm tr- – uh, are they are these new films or just – Does it say who the author – not authors, but the – gives the titling or not? No, not really. They go on and talk a little bit about the history of cinema, so maybe they're just going to go and show a bunch of old dive movies, which I'm all for. Works for me. I'm just trying to figure out what the what the angle is. Are they going to be able to get anybody out to it? Huh. But to make underwater a little bit. I went to. What's that? I was trying to go to. The, I was trying to go to where they said reference for this to find out what the what the uh, films actually were, and I can't find that. Yeah, at the, at the very bottom, they had a, a link to the theater, but... That's where I'm at, and I can't find what... There we go. How, how much is popcorn? <laughs> More than what we pay here. <laughs> the Legends of Underwater... Yeah, all right, let's see what we got here. Some of it must be, because it's retrospective on the Sea Hunt television program. Stan Waterman, which everybody knows, Sharks, Blue Water, White Death. That's an older one. Uh... National Geographic Underwater, the world's best diving. So part of it looks like a little bit of merging of the old and the new. I haven't seen what the new part is yet. What I'd like to do is see somebody take the old Jacques Cousteau's and just re-release them. Well, the reserve seating is 150 plus ticketing fee. General admission with open seating is $38. And popcorn is not allowed because it's fattening. And this has got to be California. They said it's not allowed because it's fattening? You well, I just made that up, but it is oh. California. Oh, and, uh, so they have some environmental slash health laws that we're not aware of yet. Oh. I know New York was doing the sugar pop ban. Well, the super size, yeah. That got over, overturned, by the way. Yeah, he'll, he'll be back with something else, I'm sure. Oh, let's see, well. Yeah, looks interesting. Well, this next one, we have a 19-year-old inventor who says he's found a way to clean up the ocean's oceans in under five years' time. He says his and his foundation has a way to clean up the oceans. And not only does he say we can do it, but that we can do it in five years' time and produce a profit. It's called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch or Pacific Trash Vortex. Massive collection of plastic particles accumulating Pacific. Other oceans have their own collection of plastic waste as well. well. Furthermore, most of the debris in our oceans are plastic materials account for 90% of all the waste debris. Scientists discovered have considered all manners of way the debris could be treated, but there's no clear answer. He says we could re- remove nearly 20 billion tons of plastic weight with this concept, which he calls Ocean Cleanup Array. It's made from a massive series of floating booms, processing flat platforms that greatly suck in floating plastic like a giant funnel. The angle with how the array is set up to allow plastic go to where the platform processing centers are floating. All the platform processing areas would separate the naturally occurring life such as plankton and only keep the plastic material to be recycled. What's most impressive about the ray is that once it goes operational, it would clean up the ocean in only five-year time. He also makes a point saying that due to the vastness of the oceans, most do not know how badly polluted the oceans really are. One of the problems to prevent, one of the problems will preventative work is that when there isn't any imaginary of these garbage patches, an odd sentence, uh, it says, by placing arrays, however, it will accumulate along the booms, making it suddenly possible to actually visualize the ocean garbage patches. We need to stress the importance of recycling, reduce our consumption of plastic packaging. I was looking up the Greenpeace on that. 
Uh-huh. The trash vortex is an area the size of Texas in the North Pacific. It's estimated there are six kilos of plastic for every kilo of natural plankton. Hmm. I think that they're... I would have a hard time believing that. Interesting article at uh, Greenpeace International, if you like that kind of stuff. And I'll just give you a link to where I'm at. He says, not only is Slack going to be self-powered, it would be very profitable from all the recycling, which he estimates to $500 million per year. It'd make more money than the plan would cost to execute, meaning it would be profitable. Okay, so do it. It will be interesting to see how you collect it and transport it because that's where your cost is, is transportation. Yeah. I just looked at National Geographic News also on the Vortex. They have some different pictures. And Do they actually have some pictures? Uh, actually, yeah, some of the trash. Yeah, I just sent you a link on that one. Okay. Giant Ocean Trash Vortex documented the first. And this is 2009. And it is amazing what you're seeing floating around out there. Yeah, I mean, I that that is an ugly photo, but it's only one photo. Uh, look to the left and then click on a couple of the little linkies down there. Okay. It gives you the type of debris that they're finding. And then they also show a nice little picture of the animal inhabitants of that garbage patch, which is quite interesting. And, you know, when you think about it, remember that little item we talked about last week, I believe, is the amount of plastic now found in all of the Great Lakes. And it's in the micro size that goes through most of their filters. You remember us talking about that? Yeah. Well, that's one of the things with plastic is that it does eventually break down, but it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it gets to a size where it's still not good, but it then can be ingested, which can cause all sorts of other problems. And that's the kind of plastic we've got here in the Great Lakes. I know when we're diving in the rivers, I'm seeing it more and more often. Yeah. I think I think even in the last five or six years. Used to, when I first started doing diving, I expected to see plastic bags everywhere. And now when we've been diving in the river, I, I see them just about every time. I'm always pulling them out. Well, there's another article on this, and it's called The Pacific Trash Vortex Has a Counterpart in the Great Lakes. And this is an April 2013 article. And that's quite interesting. They're using Lake Erie for an example here. And this is, let's see who's doing the studies here, University of Wisconsin-Superior. Uh, they're talking about Lake Erie, which I've heard about also has mercury infection, poisonous algae, uh, and it's gaining ground. <laughs> Interesting. That's a good article, too. We have some others who are trying to reverse that trend. We have scuba divers in Lebanon are giving the seabed a deep clean. clean. Golly. Uh, Lebanon is set to witness a unique form of environmentalism on Saturday where scuba divers from across the country gather, clean up the coastal seabed. This according to the Daily Star in Lebanon on Wednesday. Bubbles... Club for Divers has hosted a cleanup event for the past two years. They set aside a day to collect rubbish that would accumulate in the seabed, which pollutes water to present real danger to marine wildlife. We still have a very dirty seabed, says George Asaf, founder and owner of Bubbles, in an interview with the Daily Star. There's debris all over the world, but in our country, unfortunately, because of lack of culture, we have dumped garbage here. So we're trying to do the best we can, not only clean up, but to educate people not to throw rubbish in the sea and respect our nature. It said Saturday's event will have 25 divers set to clean up operations off the coast of a seaside resort. In previous years, he said the team filled about 30 large garbage bags with rubbish gathered from the ocean floor. 
type of rubbish his team finds is usually underwater. Mostly we find cans from Coke or beer. We find a lot of tires. We don't know how they get there. Each year we take like 10 tires out. There's a lot of fishing as well. And all this stuff, especially plastic, takes a long time to degrade in nature. It seems that all this rubbish has been accumulating throughout the year because the spots we clean up are relatively clean this year. He says he hopes to raise awareness, not just clean the seabed for the short term. He says, unfortunately, some still see it as think it's natural normally throw garbage in the sea. We hope that day comes we won't have to conduct such an event anymore. And then uh, more than a 1,000 divers and shoreline volunteers are expected to remove and recycle five tons of trash and debris from the water of Lake Travis during the 19th annual Lake Travis Underwater Shoreline Cleanup on September 15th from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Lake Travis Underwater Shoreline Cleanup is the largest scuba diving and shoreline cleanup in Texas, according to its organizers. The cleanup will be followed by a volunteer thank you party at Oasis on the Lake Travis. There will be live DJ, door prizes, lunch, educational activities surrounded the protection and preservation of natural resources. During the last drought of 2009, the cleanup had its most successful year in terms of amount of trash collected. Over 35 tons of debris was gathered from the water and shorelines in Lake Travis. That's a lot of trash. It's a lot more than we got on our ecology dives. How big is Lake Travis? I'm not sure, but I do know that September is Adopt-A-Beach event for all of the Great Lakes. And that's September the 21st of September. Minnesota's having theirs the 28th, but they're talking about all the beach areas in those areas. Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio, and Wisconsin to do just what we we're talking about there. So they're doing some cleanup of beach waste. Right. It was in the Hero Palladium the other day looking for volunteers and people who want to adopt a beach for the cleanup. Another good program. This one close to home. Lake Travis is 29.58 square miles. So you figure if they can get 25 tons out of there, what you could do in just one of the Great Lakes. <laughs> one of the beaches. <laughs> And this next headline got me excited when I first read it. Scuba divers raise a warship. This one is from the Southern Daily Eco out of the UK. A team of scuba divers launched a full-scale rescue mission in Hampshire to recover a sunken warship from a new forest pond. It was actually a model. The 20-minute operation involved two members from the Calshot Sub-Aqua Club who came to the aid of Royal Navy Reserve Lieutenant Commander David McNair Taylor. A stricken vessel is a model replica of American Second World War destroyer USS McNair, which David spent several months and 700 pounds before it sunk in choppy waters. Said so the boat got a difficulty and began to hit a sudden gust of wind on its main voyage. Said uh, Salty Pond is a home water of uh, a radio-controlled model boat club. and I take my model of the USS McNair, my namesake, there for its maiden voyage. It's always worrying when your model goes first in the water after a few minutes. I realized I need a bit more ballast. I turned it around with tension to bring it back to shore when a gust of wind hit it, and it went on her side. matter of minutes, she slipped beneath the surface and was gone. I was devastated. I checked out the nearest sub-aquatic club, came up with the BSAC Calshot Divers. I gave them a call, and they came down and had a look at the task. We gained permission from the Forestry Commission, and two divers went in and recovered my model. The model's remarkably good condition despite the trauma it had been through. 
I only lost a gun turret and a depth charge rail. Uh, but the paintwork was badly blistered, and I had to completely remove all the fittings, repaint, and assembler again. I've added the ballast. She's now sailing like a dream. No problem at all. I don't know. I'll I'd... bet they didn't need any permits. It said they had to get a permit. Not sure what the value of the well, permit. Well, that's a raised total ships like that and not had successful endings. You're familiar with the Alvin Clark, right? No, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I sent you a link. That was a schooner that was constructed and sank in Green Bay in the 1840s. And I think it sank in 1864 anyway. It was salvaged back in, God, 1969 or so. It was listed as a state historic site ad nauseum. And it was in prime, you know, what they would consider pristine condition. But they really didn't have any plans for conservation and or monetary support for maintenance. And it deteriorated really, really rapidly. So it was constructed yeah, in 1847. They, they salvaged it. Yeah. Oh, they yeah, they brought it. it, brought it up to the surface and, you know, refloated it. Wow, that's sad. Yeah, that, that's been the uh, the battle cry of anyone who's ever ship up, you know, salvage another sunken ship in the Great Lakes ever since. How, how long is the Friends Goodwill? That's 110 out to the end of the uh, your ring yeah, pole, tip, out the front, right? Tip to tips, 110, like 106. Length on deck is 56. So actually, I, I think that we need to sink the friend's goodwill just to preserve her. <laughs> it would require less maintenance. Yeah. It would require less maintenance, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, I'm waiting to see what happens with the welcome. They want to put the welcome down up in... Uh, yeah, in, Traverse uh, City. Traverse Traver City, yeah. I keep looking for different ships. Actually, there's a, a, a C-130 that's for sale. You know, it's an airplane, but there's a C-130 for sale that we might be able to get. Hmm. Again, transportation is the, the cost. Yeah. Well, my dad's working on a project, and I'm hoping to make some connections with that. Uh, they, what they're actually able to do is the portion of the ship that they're going to be preserving, uh, the guy who does it also owns a uh, shipping company. So he salvages these ships, and he also does uh, a shipping service on the on the Great Lakes. So at the end of one of his, he, he's, he takes loads out of Gary, Indiana, and then brings them around over to Lake Erie. So one of the, call it a backhaul, he's going to bring the object that they're going to be restoring. Hmm. So there are ways. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping to make some connections and maybe we can do something. Yeah, I keep looking for an opportunity to get my hands on something anywhere in the Great Lakes because... You know, if we can get it in the Great Lakes, that's the biggest part of it. Yeah. Well, that's all this guy does. He just salvages uh, vessels in the Great Lakes and scraps them. Mm. So I'm trying to remember what the name of this one is. Actually, I do remember it, but I can't say. Okay. But it, uh, the vessel's been in the port of St. Joe many times. Mm. And fairly recently at that. We'd love to have it in the area, and if we could get something, some sort of a lead on it, uh, yeah. we can run with it. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that after the show. We'll, Sounds we'll cover good. That. A good, good reason for those to, to hang around. Um, and how, how would you like to be, oh, let's, I almost jumped, I went too far away. Uh, a cave exploring scuba team is going to look into a New Mexico mystery. On September 14th, 81 feet below the surface, Santa Road, Blue Hole, Specialized Divers, literally opened the door on a mystery. In 1976, a New Mexico State Police team disarmed a maze 
diagram the maze of caves at Blue Hole that go at least 225 feet deep. For safety, the access to that mysterious cave system has been locked behind a grate for decades. The ADM Exploration Foundation reached an agreement with the city to open the grate and send researchers, scuba divers, into the unexplored depths. The team is equipped to go as deep as 350 feet and nearly a mile from the cave entrance and its underwater passages. If the divers find there are more caves to explore and research to conduct than the five-day adventure allows, they might plan a return trip with even more ex- extensive dive equipment. In addition to exploration research, the ADM Exploration Foundation is hoping to gather materials from Blue Hole for documentary to air on Discovery, National Geographic, or similar outlet. Uh, the ADM team members hold the highest level underwater cave training with a minimum of 15 to 25 years experience. Each member has been handpicked by the team coordinator for their specific expertise, which includes, but is not limited to cave biology, survey, photography, cinematography, ex- equipment, logistics, and multimedia. To date, the team holds current exploration records for two of the deepest and long- under- longest underwater caves in North America with depths in excess of 450 feet and linear passages over seven miles. Blue Hole remain open for scuba diving and open to visiting public during the September 12th through 19 project. Restrictions, if any, are needed during the course of the project will be posted or announced by the City of Santa Rosa personnel in advance. Explorations, one-time event, and cave diving will not become an ongoing practice at the Blue Hole. The Blue Hole is a Santa Rosa City Park, and entrance to the cave system has been sealed since the recovery of uh, two Oklahoma State University divers were lost in the underwater caverns. Well, it goes to show you that if you have monetary support, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Yeah, you just have to know how to ask right, I guess. Well, and have the money to support what they're doing. Just from what they're talking, you're talking a couple of shekels. So I'm just curious who is fronting it and how they recover their money. Well, what I'm thinking, this is a that was a press release. And the fact that they didn't have a media outlet signed yet, tells me that they're probably still in negotiation or they want to see what they get and then sell it to the highest bidder, which is kind of the premise of this show was to eventually get to that point with, with video where you're producing stuff and then people start, uh, bidding on it. Contents King. Something else that wouldn't be too bad to do is, uh, this, what this Texas family did. They discovered a crashed World War II plane on a golf dive trip. The summer, Carrie Kirposh, with her husband and mom, she hoped to find some fossil and corals. Instead, they discovered something a little bit more interesting, a World War II fighter plane that went down the Gulf of Mexico about 70 years ago off Venice, Florida. I felt like it was in a movie or TV show where you see things that happen don't feel like it's real. We've been diving this area close to shore for years, and it was just an amazing feeling. They embarked on the diving expedition in July with her husband, Wes, and her mother, Paula Pratt, to look for fossils, specifically megalodon shark teeth. They had two underwater cameras in tow in case they ran across some cool coral marine life. First, we were focusing on stuff directly below, and when I looked up, I was actually viewing the airplane's tail, uh, where the airplane's tail had been attached. My first thought that it was a commercial-sized crab trap, so I knew I wanted to check it out. She took a closer look, finding everything beneath me was basically metal, and that's when I realized I was on the wing of a plane. She signaled her family to join her and then soon realized they'd stumbled upon a P-47D Thunderbolt, which had likely crashed during the training off Venice during World War II. The Venice Army base is located at the site of the current Venice Municipal Airport. A couple media, immediately got their cameras in motion to capture the find. The aircraft 
pieces have been turned over to James Hagler, Director of Historical Resources in the City of Venice, Museum, uh, the Venice Museum and Archives. I'm looking at those photos now. They got look, 14 of them. Yeah, but only three shots of actual parts, very rusted and very dilapidated, to say the least. But uh, we still wouldn't mind finding something like that. Yeah. The megalodon teeth aren't too bad either. No, I, I like the megalodon teeth more. <laughs> <laughs> but we've been there and done that. We'll look for them. Okay. Well, that does it for the news. Uh, and then this one's a follow-up, a potentially cool scuba gear. seems like this one about once a year comes up. Uh, submersible James Bond Lotus was finally sold at auction for nearly $1 million. The Lotus, which was a 1977 Lotus East Spirit S1 in London on Monday for the sum of $973,000. The 1970 British sports car sold for more than 40 times its usual market value. Uh, it had been heavily modified for the James Bond movie as a prop. It was in the film The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, let's see. It was uh, it was considered to be a wet submarine. The compartment filled with water when it was submerged. It gained the name the Wet Nelly. An ex-Navy SEAL Don Griffin acted as the on-screen pilot sub wearing a full scuba gear. They said, which is a far cry from the dry interior that Bond and his lady enjoyed in the film. According to the auction catalog, while underwater, the East Spirit's handling was crispy, well, ergonotic. <laughs> they said once the movie left the theaters, the Lotus fell into obscurity uh, after being used to promote the film. It was put into a long-term storage unit with rent prepaid for 10 years. Eventually, the rent became delinquent, and the contents of the storage unit was sold in a blind auction. God, could you imagine of buying that? For $150? Yep, $150 is what it, it cost him. It then uh, got restored and toured the country. Yeah, I think that was a pretty good $150. Yeah, well, how much it cost him to restore it? They didn't say. But if it had been in storage, I mean, famous last words, how bad could it be? Probably had to be buffed out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, put some wax on it. Yeah, a little wax. Well, let's see. I think we got one more. Oh, uh, Google has added some more Street View pictures, this time of the Galapagos. Galapagos Islands. Um, there's some questions whether this should be still called Street View. Uh, this is the 175th, 175th, 178th anniversary of Charles Darwin's historic voyage to Galapagos. Uh, Google cameras capture both the islands themselves and the surrounding water and reefs with breath breath goodness. I'm, I think I'm I'm done. I think I'm done for tonight. Breathtaking underwater photography. So go out there and find it. <laughs> I'll have the rest of it there. There is a there is an interesting video, and then you're also seeing articles that show the sea lions. Yeah, it's taken forever to come up on mine to load it. Uh huh. I did see where Google did make the paper the other day again. Oh, no. What they do now? Well, it appears that whenever the little car with a little thing on the top is running around your neighborhood, it's yeah. also uh, sucking up every Wi-Fi type signal that's available and not guarded. Yeah. Well, they've been doing that forever. 
They're not the only ones who do that. There's uh, three or four companies that do that. True, but there was a whole big uh, hullabaloo about it lately that was on the uh, news for the Herald Palladium the other day. Yeah, that's a little delayed. That was about two years ago. That was a big, a big deal. What they're doing is when you're using a wireless device, it uses both GPS and that database of access points to figure out where you are. Because if you have a like an iPad or something and you turn off Wi-Fi when you have GPS on, it will actually scream at you going, oh, you're going to lose some of your accuracy by turning off Wi-Fi. And that's why what they're doing is they built up that, that database list. So, And then Google was supposed to be abstracting that, and they didn't. That was about a year and a half ago that was in the papers, and they apologized and did all sorts of stuff. So like the government, I won't do that anymore Yeah. unless you catch me. Yeah. Well, then, then there's some companies now that if you use their wireless equipment, they actually broadcast that intentionally. So you're hot, you're, they're claiming that your internet is subsidized, and that's why they do it. So that if they charge you the full rate, it would be more expensive if they charge you a discount. In exchange, they give away some of your bandwidth to people who are driving by. <laughs> okay. So why good. not? NSA has it anyhow, so why not your neighbors? Yeah. At least your neighbors, you know, sort of. Oh, that's an interesting photo there, Mac. And which one? That's the the one for the... Concordia? Yeah, Concordia G-Captain. Yeah, that's one I just posted. Very nice. See, that one That one doesn't look like Thomas the Train. Yeah, they got... Wow. I like that one, yes. Yeah, it really shows the caissons and everything being set up, ready to go. and That was a nice, nice image. Yeah, it must be getting close. Yeah, if you're not hooked up to G-Captain on Facebook, you might want to take a look at it. G-Space Captain. A lot of uh, nautical. Yeah, I just added a like to them. Marine-related information. It's on Facebook. Well, we've covered them in the news before. They've had some yeah. articles that we've posted. Yep. Sorry, it's G, no space, just G-Captain. Is that kind of like a gangster name, G-Captain? I don't know, but they keep up on what's happening in the marine industry. I've, I've liked some of their articles. That was They were the one who had that article on, the, was it the cook who was alive in the, the hold of the ship? Yep, they had that, and they also had a real nice series on the uh, uh, Coast Guard investigation of the uh, bounty sinking. Did they ever do a follow-up to that? Not that I've heard anymore. It'll be a while before the final report comes out, but it pretty much looks like um, the captain and the organization are going to take the hit. Oh, if I remember correctly, I think the captain went down with a boat. Captain went down with a ship. Yeah, he was lost. But yeah. And then the organization was flat broke as it was. Yeah. So, Well, that does it for Scuba News. Let's go ahead and talk about some diving. As I understand it, you guys went up to some place, uh, was it Sheboygan? Sheboygan and Mackinac City. Did some diving in that area. Now, Sheboygan, that is, if people look at their, their Michigan hand map, uh, that's up at the top near the Mackinac Bridge. Yeah, it's about 15 miles east of the Mackinac Bridge. And there's a Sheboygan, I think it's the Sheboygan River, but there's a river that comes out there. That's the home port of the Coast Guard Cutter Mackinac. And there was a couple old lumber mills, lumber camps up there where they used to take logs and cut them into sawn lumber. And 
we've been going up there for years. Mac was probably going up there, what, 20 years or more before I ever got into the area. When did you start going up there, Mac? Uh, in the 70s. Yeah. So we've been going up pretty regular, at least, you know, since 86 when I came to the area. And like Mac said, before that, he was up there every year for different reasons. <clears throat> Started off diving the lumber camps and lumber mills. And when the sand kind of covered up most of the lumber, we found or talked to some people who told us about some wrecks and we started diving wrecks and now we've got some wrecks and an old dump area and kind of do a combination of grubbing in the lake mac does some grubbing in the river and taking photos and images of the wrecks and uh, got a little bit of everything from uh, rubble wrecks in six feet of water to the cedarville which was a ore carrier uh, that Sunk within sight of the Mackinac Bridge in a hundred and two feet, hundred and ten feet of water. So, got everything from steel ships of the '60s and '70s to uh, wooden schooners from the 1800s. So, what was the first dive of the week? Uh, on Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, they went out and did the. Uh, Genesee Chief, and what's the other one over there, Mac? Leviathan. Uh, Ginny L. Starts with an L. Leviathan. Leviathan and Genesee Chief were two rubble wrecks that are right by the state park. Uh, they're snorkeling distance, or you could do them from shore dives. They dove that on Sunday and then went over to the Jenny L, which is a tugboat that sunk Two years ago, three years ago? Two years. Somewhere in that range? Yeah. So those were all in less than 25 feet of water. And then just a few miles west of that uh, is the St. Andrew uh, wooden schooner that's in about 57 feet of water. So that was Sunday's dive. Monday was Labor Day, and it was really nasty up there, blowing and rough. So I don't think we did any diving on Monday. And then Tuesday, we took a trip up to the Cedarville, or out to the Cedarville, and got a nice dive on the Cedarville, uh, which you can do anywhere from 40 feet to about 105. And then uh, Wednesday's when you came up, so why don't you pick it up, Mac? You came up Tuesday night, and we started diving Wednesday, so why don't you pick it up from here? Uh, Wednesday, we just revisited Duncan Bay and did some video on the Leviathan, the Genesee, the Genial. Then we went over to our grubbing area, and there's also a wreck over there called the Islander. And we went back out in about 20 foot of water where you still got scrap, lumber, and materials. Uh, did some video like of the two-wheel cart, and I think we posted some of those pictures on the club site. And then just regular grubbing. That two-wheel cart, I'm trying to remember if I saw that when I was there. You Probably, probably if you've been with Mac. We've, we've marked it on the GPS and been able to go back to it repeatedly. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. So we basically did that. Then the next day we went back out and uh, dove the Cedarville because there's so much of it. Uh, the nice part is I've got three buoys on it, the aft, the bow, and the middle of the brake. And nowadays you can go and you can actually go through the middle of it and then find little trails you want to take. But you got to be careful you don't go down a blind channel. And if you're going to be down there with your lights, you got to make sure you know where you're going and got a line to come back. Yeah, the break in the Cedarville has opened up some uh, areas in the hull uh, that might have been bilge area uh, connected or may have been some 
some piping. So you could very easily get silted out and lost in these areas. And they're, they're probably 60 to 90 feet, depending on where you're, where you pick them up at. But uh, what's, what's interesting about the Cedarville is inside the hull, in the holds, or if you get into the cabin areas, uh, generally the visibility is better than on the outside of the wreck until you start moving and, and make some silt. But the water in this, you know, that's trapped in the wreck is very crystal clear. No sediment in it at all until you stir it up. Yeah, the cabin area started about 75 feet. Uh, it's it's a it's a fun ship. You can you can spend many hours on it uh, and have a lot of fun. After yeah, they, that one, we did a deco time, service interval, and then we went over to the to the uh, stalker and dove that next. That's right. Which is right the in, stalker after that. Right, that's right in the uh, channel for the big hydrofoils. So yeah, you got you got freighters going east and west, and the uh, ferries running to the island kind of going north and south right around you. And the stalker was maybe 100 feet. Uh, it was a very nice dive. Thermocline at about 60 foot that you could actually see, almost video. But everybody was diving uh, wet, no big deal at all. 46 on the bottom. Yeah. Then the next day we were going to go do uh, two more wrecks, but we went on the Lake Michigan side. It was about four footers, pretty good swells. Uh, so we wound up doing the Sandusky. And we did some nice video on that. We came back. It was so choppy out there that uh, other people did other things. <laughs> and I went to the river and started diving the river for a while. That was Thursday, right? Yeah, and then did you go back to the river Friday morning? or Because we – was that Thursday oh, or Friday we did the Sandusky? That was Thursday. Yeah. And then I dove the river that night or that evening. And then I went back Friday and got two more dives in there. Because you guys were getting ready to leave. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we took off Friday. Rick and I took off Friday and came home. And then Larry and the the grubbers came up, so we went back out to Duncan Bay. To the old dump. Made them available to look at the other items. Went out to the tug, and uh, then we went to the dump. And uh, I think everybody got really lucky. Uh, Larry found a pristine jug. You would swear it was brand new, picked up in a shop. And that was five feet from the Islander. And uh, I got a couple of clay pipes and some medicines, which were pretty nice. And then uh, we went back Sunday. We dove uh, the river uh, Sunday morning before we got ready to come on back that afternoon. And as always, you come back with your, your bags loaded from the uh, river. Got some nice medicines. Everybody got medicines, pops, and they brought metal up. And you'll have to wait until you see what he sandblast and put in his in his rock garden. Yeah, I saw that you found a pipe. Yeah, I got a, a nice intact pipe. I was very pleased with that one. Yeah, that, that one had quite a stem on it. Yes. Which is, to me, seems to be unusual to see one with that much stem. Well, no, when, when you're down there, what you look for, you got to remember, they had miles of, of docking, and their docks where they'd put scrap wood down, then they'd put the slabs that they would take off the square of timber up and put it between the pilings. And then they could walk and, and load ships and stuff. Well, when they, they used to have fire buckets and they would toss their junk in that bucket and then they toss it over, overboard when they were full or whatever. So I go down, I look for the, the pilings, and then I look around the pilings for 
ashes or charcoal or big, you know, big pile of sediment that's been burned. You start fanning that and you will be pleasantly surprised at what you will find. You say that and that's exactly what I did when I was there that last time. You'd come across these char piles. Yeah. And there's usually a half corroded bucket right next to it. And sometimes you get lucky. I got lucky this time. Excellent. Now, what, what was Viz averaging? It seemed like it was a little bit low compared to previous years. Well, Jim, I think when we were on the stalker and stuff, we had, what, 20 feet? Easy. Easy. Well, that's good. And I, I figure even uh, even out there in the bay when we were mucking it up, we had 15 to 20 feet there. Yeah, I'd say 15 to 20. Now, we then, did have particulate and sediment, but, I mean, I could see Jim very easily. Yeah, and it had been blowing. I mean, Monday was really a blow day. So there had been some, some wind and waves. We were out there Monday, and, well, Monday was blowing. Tuesday, we were out there in four-footers before we finally turned around. And uh, there was there was some rough wind, rough waves and wind all week up there. But that's what's nice about this area. You can always find some place that's somewhat protected. And if nothing else, go hit the river. Yep. And when, when Jim and I, we, we were there that one day uh, in Duncan Bay, uh, we looked at the maps, and there was uh, two indications of two more wrecks. So we went around the side of the uh, the island, not the island, but... Yeah, the point. The point. And uh, that which was there is now covered with sand. So the two on the chart are no longer available. They're under under dirt. Hmm. And they would have been rubble wrecks again. Yeah. Well, it just means but, there's something to expose later on for us. Yeah, we'll be putting some pictures of the of all those wrecks on our club site under sites. If you're a kayaker or a snorkeler or a brand new diver, the bay is a wonderful place to dive because you're maximum 25 foot depth, and you will be able to look at a lot of the, the the shallow ones for construction techniques, the way they're put together. That'll help you when you get to the bigger wrecks. Yeah, I spent a lot of time. The whole time I spent on the uh, the Genesee Chief and the Leviathan was just videoing the construction of that that ship and it, it, like you said it's a it's a time capsule right there of how the ships were built uh, if you take the time to look at it you can really understand what you will find on the bigger deeper wrecks and where lost artifacts will are more likely to be found on the bigger wrecks just based off the construction of the boat always something to be learned from those older wrecks Yeah, I'm thinking about about putting a presentation together on just some of the construction and, you know, the the details of the wrecks because the more you learn, the more you'll find and the more you understand. And at least for me, the more I appreciate the wrecks that I see and the the pieces come together. Now, is there anything that you noticed new this time you hadn't seen in the past? One, Mm. if you look at the uh, muscles, you're going to find quaggas, you won't find zebras. You will also find a good bit of the wreckage does not have any of that on there now. Yes. For the reason. The deeper wrecks actually had vegetation and growth on them at 100 feet, which I do not remember from years and years ago, which mm-hmm. indicates the visibility and light penetration has increased substantially. Yeah, and I'm seeing a green, almost like a mold or moss in a lot of areas. I think I tried... I know I tried to get a couple photos of it, uh, something I had not seen before. You know, as Mac talked about the vegetation, I'm not sure what this was, but it, it was interesting. Uh, the other thing I've noticed is there was more sediment 
uh, in Duncan Bay. And we talked about earlier, you know, that the, the one lumber camp area we used to dive is all filled in with sand now. Um, there's got to be lots of lumber still under that sand because there's no way that all that lumber could have been salvaged or pulled out of there. And this other section of Duncan Bay is also starting to cover up with some sediment, some soft silt. Uh, but it's interesting as you're diving the wrecks, it, it, it caught me, and I, I found this with Max Wreck, and the more of the wrecks I look at, I'm finding it. Um, I consider them living, breathing organisms almost, uh, because as you're swimming around on the bottom, all of a sudden you'll see a stream of bubbles coming up from down in the sand of the wreck. So something down there is still decaying, still, I want to say breathing, dying, but, uh, you know, it, it's not, it's not dead. It's, uh, there's still life there, you know, to a level where it's creating some sort of gas that's bubbling up out of these wrecks. And that's something I've noticed on the wrecks that we dive down here. You know, even Max wreck, you almost get an idea of how the boards are mm-hmm. just by the... The, the pattern in the sand of where the bubbles are coming up. Maybe next yeah, they, year is going to be the year for Max Rec. Could be. We didn't get out too much this year, but Bowie's still there. Yeah, we still have some diving yet to do. Yeah, we've got some diving to do. We, I, I really want to get out and get some more video of it because I've got to update the measurements with those new dead eyes that uh, were uh, uncovered this year when the sand sifted. Now that brings us up. What, what Any dives planned coming up? I think there's, I heard some talk of uh, Bob saying he was going out this weekend. Yeah, I think Bob's gone up to Ross Township Park this weekend. Uh, I will be at Wolf's manning a table to sell some uh, no longer needed dive gear and some other items that uh, have been recovered and cleaned up and are now available for sale. Anchors. (laughs) Yeah, I got a dozen anchors that I cleaned up and painted and they'll be for sale. Treasures from prior dives. Most of them are anchors that Mac collected. Yeah, I hope to be back in the water in the afternoon on Saturday. I laid a few more out to be recovered this weekend. I think uh, Larry was going to bring that other monster piece of metal we found by the railroad bridge. He wants to try grabbing that sucker. So we'll see where that takes us. Okay. Ah. And then the following week, we definitely will be hitting the rivers and some other places. Uh, Ken should be off that week, so we uh, do intend to go play time. Isn't uh, Saturday Bend of the River? No. Uh, Bend of the River meeting is the 19th. That's no, I meant time. the Saturday-Sunday activity. No, that Isn't... that is the first Saturday of the month. Okay, so that was last weekend. Yes. Okay. And that was canceled because we weren't going to be there. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking it was a second Saturday, but okay. Nope. Good. So well, we can get in. We can get in Saturday after the after we sell all the stuff off the table and divvy up the funds. Yep. And if anybody happens to be in the area of White Star this weekend, I guess the Talking Scuba Dive Club is going to have a meet up there. It's supposed to be. They've got the time as Saturday at 7 p.m. Um, Admission to White Star is $15 per day. Air fills are $7 per cylinder. Enriched air fill is $10 per cylinder, which is 30 EAN, 36 pre-maked, banked regularly. Uh, concession hours for air fills are 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Make sure you get your air filled before they closed. Sunday, it's 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, so it looks like uh, Johnny 
be Alan from Talking Scuba and Cameron, one of the on-screen and off-screen talent, will be there as well. I was going to try and make it, but I've got obligations with the family going on, so I won't be able to. Well, you've got some plans for a couple weekends coming up, too, that we got to talk about. Yes, we do. And uh, what he's referring to, and let me pull up my list here. I think I've got a printout of it. And that is a instructor lecture for the weekend, which you can go to the website. It's uh, Steve Lewis from techdivertraining.org. Let's see here. Well, you sent me a link. Oh, what link is that? That's G-Captain again, is it? While you're looking that up, upcoming items, October 19th, the West Michigan Underwater Preserve presents shipwrecks and technology at Spring Lake Holiday Inn. So if you just go to shipwrecksandtechnology.org, you can find all the details and the cost and, and what the program will be about. And the uh, Mud Club will have a table there. Oh, really? Yes. And, and which date is this? October 19th. Oh, awesome. We're, the club's going to have a table there. We hope to have a display and maybe some artifacts that have been recovered from the river and uh, lots of video. So Excellent. we'll be talking about the diving the club does and uh, looking for some new, hopefully collecting up some members yeah. while we're there. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've got the, so it's on the, so it's the 27th, 28th, and 29th of September. That's the Rebreather Demo, right? Yep, Rebreather Demo. So on Friday night from 6 to 7, there's a lecture by Steve Phillipson. Uh, could be underwater photography and in, uh, or intro into Rebreathers. 7 and 9 is a lecture of six skills and discussions. Also a book signing by Steve Lewis. Then Saturday from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. is a Rebreather Tri-Dives. Uh, they're going to be trying a variety of rebreathers, including the ambient pressure, evolution, and inspiration. Uh, let's see. And then one to three is a barbecue and tent sale at Aquatic Adventures of Michigan. Three to five is a choice of lectures, side mount options, configurations by Kim Parker, Matt Phillipsons, or rebreather diving and a detailed view of the ambient pressure rebreathers by Steve Lewis. And then there's some other activities later on, which you, you're going to have to go to the website, which is techdivertraining.org. Uh, contact somebody, let them know you're going to come. And then on Sunday, they have a number of rebreather trying dives that could be possible to overflow for the previous day and some additional diving. All dives will be at Spring Mill Pond in the Island Lake Recreational Area. They're saying it's still warm there. You can get by with 5-millimeter wetsuits. Uh, many of us are going to be diving in 7-millimeters or dry suits. They recommend bringing a light. They said uh, visibility is improving, but a light will help you out. And this is all in, I believe it's Brighton, Michigan. It's uh, just north of Ann Arbor. So I know Darren and I are planning to be there and spend the weekend. Yep, yep. I've I've already got it cleared with the wife, which is an an amazing accomplishment in itself. So that previous week, I'm going to be in Missouri all week. And I I don't know if I'm going to load. What I'm going to do is going to rent a car. So I'll have a rental for the whole week and... I'll be down there from Monday, driving back from Missouri on Friday, and then about midday I'll pick up Jim and we'll head on over and plan on being there for the Friday event. Yep, looking forward to it. Uh, Steve Phillipson, who's dove with us, uh, will be there. Looking forward to diving with him again and taking some instruction from him on intro to rebreathers. Yeah, that, that to me is fascinating. I think that's the next era of diving is the rebreathers. I, I know some are saying that 
they're they're waiting for it to get better, and I think it's it's getting better. And I'll I'll hope to have a better pitcher after after that weekend. So that's just two weekends. Is it no three weekends from now, isn't it? So we've got this weekend, we got the following weekend, and then the weekend after that, which is the right twenty seventh, twenty eighth, and twenty ninth. Right, close enough that uh, you can firm up your schedule, and if you're thinking about it, uh, we can get you in touch with the right guys, and you can do a rebreather dive with Darren and I in Brighton, Michigan. Did, you, did we lose somebody? No, I think that was you. <laughs> Me. I mean, I'm... Jim was still talking, so it couldn't have been him. Oh, I don't know what what that noise was. Yeah, it's it's Skype having it's it's fun. So sounds very interesting, very reasonably priced too. So you have to check out the website to find out what the the costs are for for that weekend. And next week, are you, Darren? You planning to? I know you're traveling next week. Oh no, it's not next week. It's the after that you're traveling. So what's what's next weekend? No, no, I was thinking something else. I was just going to say, you know, next week. I'd like to invite everybody to jump into the chat room on TalkShoe and tell us where you've been diving this summer. Yeah, we'd like to hear about what, what type of environments you're getting into, where you've been diving. Also, what are your plans for the off-season? Are you just going to pack up your gear and and couch potato, or are you going to get out and do some ice diving? I think uh, this is going to be the year for ice diving. Yeah, yeah, there, is, to... there is no off-season for diving. I, I was going to ask, what, what, what's this off-season? <laughs> yeah, there, there is no off-season. Well, there isn't for us. I mean, heck, if I can get in the ice with a wetsuit, if you got a dry suit, there's no excuse. Well, you're scuba obsessed. That's why you dive. Yes, I am. And I think a lot of our fans are as well. Well, I th- well we made a big dent in this episode. Almost to the hour and a half mark. Maybe it's about time we get to that part of the show. Anybody got anything to plug before we get going? Oh well, I've got a, I've got a, I got a dry suit. I need to put a couple plugs in. <laughs> I've got a wetsuit. I need more than a couple plugs in. Yeah, I've been looking for a 55-gallon drum of goop for you. So yeah, haven't found it yet. 55 might not do it. We're just gonna put you in a skin and dip you. <laughs> well, that that might work. That could very well work. So what you'll want to do is you want to make sure that you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash scoobobsessed. Give us a like there. And then you can head over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. We love those five-star reviews. It helps us out quite a bit. Let's people know that we're out here. And then if you can actually leave a comment as well, we, we love to have the comments. So you give us a five-star review and then you just leave a little comment saying how you like the show, how you listen to it. And then uh, make sure you go to our website, which is www.scubaobsessed.com. And we have a little thing called the fan pin map. So you go up to about uh, fans and you click on that and you add your pin to the map. And then everybody gets to see where you are. And you can you can use a fake name if you want. We just want everybody to see where our fans are and where you're coming from and give you an idea that there's probably not a spot in the world well, there's not, there isn't a scuba diver. That's a double negative there, but uh, wherever you're at, I'm sure you can find a good spot to do some diving. And there's others just like you. Which Is, is that a good thing, having other people like you? Sure, because when you get enough crazies together, you form a club. Yeah. Then you start diving year-round, taking trips up to Mackinac. And if you want to see examples of crazies in a club, that's mudclub.scubaobsessed.com, and you can... See the adventures of the Mud Club team. Click on the Treasures link, and you'll see what we've brought up. That's more than just a couple days of 
of diving there on that page. Let's see. Oh, and then you want to follow us on Twitter. You can't leave off Twitter. Twitter has a lot of activity. We curate news throughout the week, and we post it up there on Twitter, and you can follow us. So you go at Scoob Obsessed is our Twitter handle, and we also have Scoop It. So you go to Scoop It and look for Scoob Obsessed, and you'll find our news feed. And we're on Google. I'm still trying to crack Google. I just I like it to an extent. It just hasn't become natural. It's a little bit too much of a pain in the butt to post to it. But I see Google's making some changes to that now. Only so many hours a day, only so many social networking sites you can you can handle. And let's see. Now I'm on. Uh... Okay. So. So is it that time? It has been. I think I've I've delayed and stalled and everything else we can do. So it is that time of the show. So if any of our people in the past room chat uh, pass out, we apologize. But we have, again, we had John, Roger, Big Stig, Steve, who we'll be seeing in a couple weeks. Paul, Tracy's D's Click. I'm still not sure about that name. And some others. So make sure that you, you go. Also, if you like our podcast, you're going to like some of the other podcasts that are out there. You're going to like Diver Sync by a friend of ours, Rich Sinowick. And you're also going to want to check out Talking Scuba Video Podcast. Okay. Think any more commercials and I'll, you know, we'll have to have some sort of different rating. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. A small boy is woken up by a crash of thunder. He rushes into his parents' room and his father confronts him. Don't be afraid of thunder, he says. It's just a noise God makes and someone tells a lie. But why is it thundering now, asked the boy. It's the middle of the night and everyone's asleep. I know, at, replies his father. But this is around the time when they start to print newspapers. It would be thundering forever. <laughs> With the internet, I think it would be constant. It is constant. So, until next just, week. Just, wait, 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 wait. Oh, what? Just one parting comment. Uh-huh. Just remember, newspapers would only be half as thick if they didn't have to print retractions. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. If they only would do that. So until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And buy a newspaper because it's a dying media. Recording has been completed. Well, I, to, I delivered newspapers for five years. I delivered papers, and I also sold, I don't know if you were Boy Scouts or stuff, but remember Grit? Oh, I did that. I did that before I did the newspapers. <laughs> That's when I realized that that was not a real newspaper. But amazingly, there were old ladies who bought Grit. Yes. And they actually, I think, liked it. Because when I stopped selling it, they got mad at me. But yeah, I used to do that. I used to be in the back of the magazine and make money. Gosh. Yeah, I used to wait till fall, and I'd get those Christmas card catalogs, go out and sell Christmas cards to all my neighbors. Oh, that's a good way to do it. Hey, have fun in North Carolina, John. What's, what's well, GN code for? Good night. Oh, okay. Abbreviation. Sometimes they abbreviate to so abbreviate, and I have no idea what anybody's <laughs> talking about. Yeah, well, we lost everybody on the chat room.
Well, I'm about to pull the plug here and hit the showers myself. Okay. Well, thank you much for coming on. Glad you guys had a good dive up so north. Before before you leave, Mac, uh, you gonna you got anything you want to put on the table Saturday? I don't think so. I got some stuff I got in the hangar, but I'm gonna hang on to it for a while more. Okay, because I've what got. Time do they op- what time do they open that day? Uh, nine o'clock is when it starts. Setup is at eight, and I got all those anchors that you had. I picked up from your place and we were going to split. I got them all uh, cleaned up and spray painted. So I got like 12 of those ready to go. Yeah, I'm going to go there early. I want to peruse it and give you a hand set up if you like. The big, the big influx is that first couple of hours because that's what people want to see is what's there before everybody descends like a herd of locusts. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm planning to, you know, be there through the day and sell as much of my stuff as I can. Anything you don't sell, I put that in the newsletter this time already. Uh, I know you've got stuff. Larry's got stuff. I, I need a list of what people have and how much mm. they want. Because I have had people call me up and ask, and it's like, uh, I know people have stuff, but I don't know how much they want for it. Okay. I'll get it out to you. I want to send uh, some, I want to see if I can drag some guys from the firehouse up to the to the next club meeting Tuesday night. So I got to give them a little heads up, see if I can get them out there. Get some more divers interested in diving with us.